Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best-selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. Hey Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors, who is Lit Verified. What is the shaman school? No, you're not going to be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The Shaman School offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no-nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience, from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society. How to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the Shaman School is a school that we all should have been a part of. One that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I've extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamandurek.com and click on The Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon. Hello and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. And I'm Shaman Dirk and I am happy, happy, happy to be here with all of you. Because, you know, we are on this amazing trajectory 
to shifting and lifting the veil like has never done before on this planet. And that's why things are a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. A little crazy and a little tumultuous doesn't mean that things are falling apart for the worse. It means that things are getting better, but there is a recourse that is taking place on the planet. That means that everything that has been out of alignment or that is out of alignment is being restructured and put into alignment. And the restructuring process, yeah, I know, it's not the best feeling. Not a lot of people like the restructuring process. And a lot of people don't like the feeling that they can't understand why the world looks so crazy right now. But the truth of the matter is, is that the world right now is going through one of the most amazing changes that has ever been done in history because there's more people waking up to their potential by removing the energies that have been causing dysfunctional thinking and emotional patterns within their being. They're actually starting to realize that the mind itself is the culprit for creating distorted patterns within their emotions and their body structure. And that the mind itself is being taught to understand the divine wisdoms of harmony and grace from the spirit self. See, the spirit and the mind have not been communicating a lot as we can see on planet Earth. And how do we know that is because human beings don't have the compassion and the love to show up for their brothers and sisters, even if they don't agree with them or they don't understand them. They still should give love and support and understanding of love to people no matter what. But on our planet, if they don't understand you or they don't get you or you're not like them, they want to destroy you, they want to kill you, they want to ridicule you, they want to bully you, they want to put you down, they want to go to war with you, they want to annihilate you. And that is a problem. And that is the reason why the spirit has to connect to the mind. But the biggest thing is, is that people actually think if I do spiritual things and I'm continuing to do spiritual things, that that's going to make me a spiritual person. And that doesn't make you a spiritual person. The word working on something does not make you a spiritual person. Devoting yourself to what you love to do, to yourself, to your shadow. Instead of doing shadow work, you're doing devotion to your shadow, doing devotion versus work, because work is an enslavement word created by the matrix to draw in heaviness and lower frequency. So as we begin to recognize that our words have to follow in sync with the frequency that we want to participate in, Frequency, yes, which is, in fact, one of the most important things that we're going to learn about in the near future on how important it is to the development of our human species, as well as our communicative capabilities to communicate to nature and animal and to self and also to each other. You see, there is nothing greater than understanding frequency. But when we use words that have lower frequencies, we attract a myriad of spirits and energies and beings and archetypes and all types of events and situations that literally match those frequencies to the T that makes it possible for us to continue to have the continuation of more drama in our lives. Oh, the drama for your mama, the drama for your papa, the drama, 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 the drama, 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 the drama, drama, drama in your life. 
the drama, drama, drama in your life. We don't want no drama. We don't want no drama. We don't want no drama in our life. We don't want no drama. We don't want no drama. We don't want no drama in our life. And that means what? That means in order to have no drama in your life, you're going to have to become the steward of the mind. That means you can't just let thoughts go through. You can't just let yourself think about anything and think that's all you, because it's not. It is spirits talking to you. And you will know because anything that's not love is a spirit talking to you. And you can tell if it is coming from love. If it's coming from love, it's a spirit of the light. It's higher vibration. It's 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 heavenly voices. It's, it's the beautiful symphony of love. But if it's coming from you're this and you're that and you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough and no, you're never you're going to run out of money and you're not going to be this and you're not going to be that. Remember, all spirits can do, and I really want you to get this into your modus operandi, get that into your mind. All spirits can do is perpetuate an idea that makes you curious to entertain it. So if a spirit says to you, you're fat, and you just leave it like that without without what we call being witty with the spirits. You got to be witty with the spirits. You got to get witty. You got to get witty. So if a spirit says you're fat, you would say, I'm losing weight every single day, boo. Okay. That's one way you can say it. Or you can just simply say, I'm losing weight all the time. Even right now I'm losing weight. If the spirit says you're not good enough, be like, I'm so amazing. And I am bringing so much love to this world and people love what I have to bring. You have to outwit the spirit in what it says. If you go into any of those thoughts in, in a way where you start showing forms of emotion to it, or you start reacting to it in a, in a way where you actually are questioning that what is it true or is it not true, the spirit is in the door. The spirit is in the door. So think of it like you just let a vampire in your house. And now that vampire is like, yo, what's up? Now I can drain you and feed off of your life force because you obviously, obviously um, had to even contemplate what I said to you, which means you need me. You need me to come in here and create some serious drama for your mama. Drama for your mama. Drama for your papa. Drama, 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 drama. You see, because the spirit itself, you can't get mad at the spirit because you're the one who opened the door. You opened the door, my loves. You opened the door when you anticipated the, the claim of truth over what that spirit was saying to you. That's why you have to learn spiritual wittiness, okay? You've got to be really good at it. So when a spirit starts talking, you know that that's not you. That's not you just because it takes your voice. It does that on purpose because it knows you will only listen to your inner voice. When you get more comfortable with spirits, it will show you what its voice sounds like. But until that time, you will hear it like your own voice. And your own voice, it will take on and mimic your own voice. And you will think that's you talking to yourself. You would think that's you putting yourself down. You would think that's you holding yourself back, telling yourself things like, I can't dance. I have two left feet. I'm not good enough. What am I really going to do in life? No one really cares about me. 
you know, and whatever else goes on in your head, you got to counterbalance it. You can't react to it. You can't get emotional about it because the moment you do, the door opens and the vampire's in. Yeah, it's just like that. Because what happens is, this is what, and I want to give this to you because I really want you to get this, okay? So spirit utilizes free will, free will. And I'm going to keep talking about free will until you really understand what it means. If you anticipate the idea, meaning, and when I say anticipate the idea, here's what I mean. If a spirit says to you, you're an idiot or you're not good enough, and you start getting emotionally upset about it, you've anticipated, that means that you've accepted it and now the spirit is it, okay? That means that your will has aligned to it on some level of truth. Because anything that's not true, you don't put your energy on. You would get witty with it, you know? Get witty with it, get witty with it, get, get, get witty with it, get, get, get witty with it, get witty with it, get witty with it, yes. So when a spirit talks to me, spirits will say things like, Nobody wants you. Nobody appreciates what you do, Shaman Durek. I'm like, people love me. Um, you're, you know, you're not good enough, Shaman Durek. You're, you're not doing enough. Um, I love what I'm doing and it's so amazing how much I'm doing. And then or sometimes spirits will do this. This is the real kicker. Um, you'll never get rid of me. Well, I'm already getting rid of you. I'm sending you into the light right now. I'll never leave, but you're leaving right now. I'm never gonna go, but you're already going. You see, when it says you're never gonna get rid of me or I'm never gonna leave, it's anticipating that you'll believe what it says because of the way it says it to you, that it makes you believe that it's not gonna leave. And when you say, oh my God, the spirit's not gonna leave, you've just kept it there. You've just now allowed it to un, 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 you know, unpack its uh, clothes again and go and camp out in a part of your house, okay? But we're gonna talk about your house, which is your spiritual house, baby. Your spiritual house is your temple. It's your, it's your body, it's your emotions, it's your mind, it's your spirit, right? It's the four guardians that make up the full completeness of your vessel. And anywhere spirits can hide anywhere in those parts of your um, house. They can hide in your emotions, which is the water aspect of your, um, of your vessel, which is the, your emotions, right? Okay. They can hide in your body, which is the physical aspect. They can hide in your thoughts, in your mind, and they can try to hide in your spirit, but they really can't because the spirit knows what it's doing. So it has to separate your spirit and that's how it hides in your spirit. Meaning that it makes you spiritually righteous. Meaning you use spirit as a weapon to attack others and yourself to be quote unquote good so that you can perhaps, you know, get into the kingdom of heaven or have favor with Allah, or perhaps you one day become like the Pratama Buddha, whatever you use as a spiritual uh, platform to boost yourself up on where you feel like you're better than other people and that you're because you did ayahuasca or because you did all this, uh, what people call shadow work or work, that you are this amazing spiritual being. Instead of realizing that spirituality isn't based on what you do, it's based on um, and how you communicate to yourself and the way you communicate to others and the love that you're capable of feeling and the love you're capable of giving. So if you have people telling you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you don't ever stop and say out loud to yourself, I want you to acknowledge how that love 
feels going into your body and feel it now and you don't say that out loud, you're pretty, pretty much just hearing I love you without really taking it into your cells and into your body to nourish and feed you, right? Which is really funny because we've been programmed as children to believe that when someone says something negative to us, we get reactive and upset. That's why people argue and bicker and like, you know, go into all of these rants and, and, and rages. It's because they believe the negative more than they believe the positive because they actually took in the negative as children. Like you actually took it in emotionally, right? And then the positive, you heard it, but you never really took it in. And so that's why I always tell people when someone compliments you or says, I love you, or says, I appreciate you or value you, you always wanna say, I want you to acknowledge, because you're talking to your spirit, right? I want you to acknowledge the love or the appreciation that is being sent by whoever it is sending it to you and feel it right now. So that way you're sending it into your cells, you're sending it into your electromagnetic energy field, you're sending it into your muscles and your joints and your organs and to your mind. You're, you're basically filling up your temple with light. It's really beautiful, actually, to be honest, you know, and even if you like talk to a tree and you say, hey, tree, I love you. The tree is doing exactly what I'm telling you to do. Now you have to go. I want you to acknowledge the energy the tree is sending to you right now because of of your connection. Right. Even if you don't say anything and feel it now because trees are always sending us love. Flowers are always sending us love. Uh, the universe is always sending us love. Uh, the spirits are always sending us love. Everything is sending us love, but most people aren't aware of it at all because they're more aware of the negativity and they're more aware of the influx of negativity. And that's the wave that they ride. I mean, I can't tell you how many negative surf riders there are in this world who spend their life every single day opening up their energetic field and surfing the wave of negativity, just riding that wave, just doing that wave and, and wondering why they feel miserable, wondering why they having money issues, wondering why they can't find love, wondering why these things are happening because they're happening because human beings are not realizing that you were programmed as a kid to take in negative energies, criticism, and all of these other things that you went through and abuse, whatever it is, and you put that inside your body. You filled that inside your temple. That's why you got to do a temple cleaning. You got to go inside and be like, I'm going to clean my temple. I'm going to pay attention to what I take in. And so the best way to do that is start taking in more love all the time, every time. The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, don't get on your computer, don't go on your cell phone, don't go and do anything that is matrix uh, um, activated, okay? When I say matrix activated, that means the part of you that has an agenda to get something done or connect with someone or see who's writing about you on social media or what, how people, what are people saying and whatnot, get out of that for just a moment. Step back into yourself. Say, first thing, I want you to acknowledge how proud you are for getting up and starting this day with love. Then say, I want you to acknowledge the love that is coming in from 
God, Source, Jesus, Allah, whoever it is that you feel is the supreme being for you, okay? It might just be a tree or a flower. I don't know because it depends for you and there's no wrong way. You get up and you say, I want you to acknowledge, I do this. I want you to acknowledge the love that God is sending you right now and feel it. And once I fill myself up with that goodness, my day is like, no matter what people say, no matter what tabloids write about me, whatever's happening, I'm like lit, lit, okay? Now, when tabloids make lies about me, of course, I got to go and say some things on my Instagram just because I need to check them and let them know so people know the truth versus what they're writing is a lie. But what I'm saying is, on a core level of my being, I'm not letting it destroy me because I'm being lit up by the divine, right? And then I go, after I do that one, I say, I want you to acknowledge the love that you're sending your ancestors and see them receiving it and the love they're sending back to you and feel it. And then I, I, I soak that into my, into my cells, into my body, into my skin, into my face. And that's why I have this youthful appearance because I get it all in my skin and in my face. You know, it's my, it's my body conditioning, my emotion conditioning, my mind conditioning and my spirit conditioning, right? So like everyone goes and takes showers and do these things. You can also cleanse yourself too. Like before you go to bed, you say, I want you to acknowledge the deep cleansing in your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual body that is happening right now and feel it. And therefore, now you're washing yourself before you go to bed. So you can have nice, clean energy so that when you go into the dream plane, the, the astral plane, you're actually doing things and connecting with spirits and having dreams that are actually teaching you about your powers instead of you working out today's drama that you went through. The drama, 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 drama. Stay away from the drama. Stay away from the drama. So again, that helps you to shift the narrative of how you're associating with yourself and other people, right? And the more you practice this art, um, which we call the hermit um, communication, which is being able to keep awareness of acknowledgement. And you always want to say acknowledgement um, because acknowledgement is different from awareness because I want you to acknowledge means the full commitment, whereas awareness is just being aware, but it's not a full commitment where all of your being is fully activated into it. So doing this is going to change your life. And what it's going to do also is it's going to give you a greater understanding of tapping into the universal field of intelligence that is bringing in new energies for, for complete transformation and configuration of what we're experiencing on planet Earth versus riding and being a surf rider of negativity and thinking that you're excelling uh, through life because you're having to constantly deal with negativity. Look, there's going to be negativity on the world. There's going to be people who will talk about you. There's going to be things like that. However, safeguarding yourself with powerful love armor is going to make you feel so much better than it is for you to just go out in the world all willy-nilly and have no love protection on you, no love shield, no love 
love uh, sword, no love um, helmet, you know? You want to have the beautiful gifts that come from the gods and goddesses, right? You want the golden shield and the sacred uh, sword and the beautiful helmet, you know? You want the, 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 the beautiful armor that has been made by the gods. And that's how you do that. That's how you get that. And you can even say, I want you to acknowledge the beautiful golden armor of love that has been put on you from the gods and goddesses and feel what it feels like. And you are starting to create a whole new energy of what it means to feel protected and safe in this world so that you can carry out your love and joy and, and your commitment to sharing what brings you joy on this planet. So that being said, I love you and I want you to have the most amazing, lit, amazing experience all the time, every time. And if you want to go dive deeper into these ideas and thoughts and so forth and look at things that you're doing that we can shift and move, you can make a sessions with me, come into group sessions, take some of my courses at the shaman school at shamandurek.com. Um, read my book, the spirit hacking book. If you're Turkish, read my book, Uyanish, and also get into um, the alchemy elementals or the SOs, which have been programmed with energetic fields of frequencies to shift those energies for you very quickly. I love you so much and I know how powerful you are and I know what you're here to achieve is greatness and let me be the one to support you on that journey and continuously be victorious. Love you. Bye. Hello tribe, have you ever heard of Anima Mundi herbals? Well, I have to tell you, you know, in my life, I've traveled all over the world, trying people's products, experiencing them and seeing how they operate with my body, how connected they are to me on a deeper spiritual level, and the way I feel about how they're produced and created in this world. One of the things that I love about Amina Mundi is that it's a female and BIPOC owned and operated by a master herbalist, Adriana Ayeles from Costa Rica. When I connect with a product, and the reason why I share it with you is because I see results. And when I get results from a product, I have to share it with the tribe because I know that it's going to benefit your life as much as it's benefited mine. I love the fact that their products contain zero fillers and binders and also that it's pure botanical powders, teas. It is the most powerful apothecary that I've run across in my travels in life. And I love how they give back to the community to bring support for education and helping people with farming productions and creating remedies and benefits that people all over the world and all walks of life. Anima Mundi is not just a product. It is literally uh, earth medicine. And it is so good for your soul because the moment you put it in your body, you can feel the results. So I don't really need to tell you anything more about this amazing company. What I can tell you is that you should have this on your shelf in your home for your family so that you can continue to live a healthy and vibrant life. 
If you want to have the most amazing products that touches your soul on a deep level, you can check out Anima Mundi and you get 15% off by typing Shaman Durek. I love you so much, tribe. And I want you to feel as good as I feel when I put anything into my body. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, everyone. This is Shaman Durek with Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. And I am super happy to have this amazing man in the studio with me to share about his amazing book that is called The Book, which is called God Solution. It's his 39th title. Now, I was just in Tucson, Arizona, sharing the stage with this lovely soul. And I've heard so many wonderful things about him throughout my lifetime. And I'm so happy to have him here in studio with us to share with us his journey into all of the things that he does, everything that brought him to where he is in his life, and really begin to understand uh, the deeper aspects of where we as human beings can be and where we can go so that we can better our lives. You know, um, Neil Donald Walsh has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life. And with an early interest in religion and deeply felt connection to spirituality, Neil spent the majority of his early adult years thriving professionally, yet searching for a greater meaning in life. And this, if you guys have not um, read the book, um, Conversations with God, well, I don't know if millennials and you have all done that, but I think you should definitely put that in your book repertoire because that book is going to help you understand a great deal about understanding about what surrender he went into to be able to bring that book to life. And I think that anyone who's a young generation should know more about Conversations with God and also his latest book, The God Solution. So without further ado, it's a pleasure to have you here in studio, Mr. Neil Donald Walsh. Well, thank you, my friend. It's lovely to be here and sweet of you to invite me. How may I serve you? I'm very happy to be served and I'm happy to serve you as well. I want to go into what inspired you to create conversations with God because you're, you are, you know, when I, how do I say your energy is very much like a comedian. Like when you were making your jokes, it was so clear. And so, so, I mean, I'm like, did you ever think about becoming a comedian? Because you're bringing this amazing book, but you have all, I see in your energy, all this other aspects of, you know, uh, playfulness and so forth. And so I'm, I'm very interested to know your path and what inspired you to create conversations with God series. First of all, to answer your first question, uh, I was a stand-up comic. And I oh, did, you were? I did it. I did it professionally. That is, I made money doing it in a series of nightclubs in the upper Midwest, in Chicago and Milwaukee. Now, obviously, I wasn't you know, a huge success at it, or I would have become you know, nationally known as a comedian. But I, you know, I, I had fun doing it for a while. And then I got into a, a, a more steady line of work. Instead of doing club dates, I was in radio, in broadcasting. And that, that I did succeed at. I wound up with a nationally syndicated uh, 
radio talk show uh, program. So, and then I became, interestingly enough, I got out of broadcasting altogether and moved into print journalism. And I became ultimately the managing editor of a weekly newspaper in the city in which I lived. So, you know, I've had, as as the um, little bio sketch indicated, some success in my professional life. But when you asked me the second question, what inspired me to write uh, the Conversations with God book? Um, uh, honestly, my friend, I wasn't inspired to write it. I didn't sit down to, to write a book. I didn't say to myself one day, you know what? I think I should write a book. And I got it. I'll call it Conversations with God. It's not at all how it happened. Uh, what, what was going on in my life is that everything had fallen apart in my life. And I mean everything. My relationship with my significant other. In the same week, I was downsized out of the corporation that I was working for. They assured me that my performance was up to snuff and that I, my performance was actually quite satisfactory. But they were losing money, uh, more money than they wanted to lose. And they had to let go of some people. And I was last first out. I had no seniority. So I lost my job and my relationship in the same five-day period. But wait, God wasn't done with me. At the same time, three days after that, an old gentleman, I didn't know, but he was 89 years old, turned his car into mine, making a left turn in front of me, misjudging the whole situation and smacking right into me. Now that really smashed my car tough. And I broke my neck in the car accident from the oh, impact, from, from the impact. I could, I, and I knew it instantly because as soon as the car hit me, I, I heard this. And I knew, oh, that can't be good. And so they, 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 they rushed me to the hospital in an ambulance, of course. And uh, when I woke up, naturally they put me under. When I woke up, um, the surgeon said to me, you know what? You had a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. That's not a hairline fracture. That's not a small break in your neck. I had a break in my neck three-quarter inches wide. That's wide enough to put a pencil through. Mm. And what the doctor said to me was, you know, you are lucky to be alive. By all, you know, by all means, you should be actually dead here. People who have that kind of a neck fracture in the back of their neck almost always have spinal cord complications, which often ends one's life, or at least leaves one totally paralyzed for the rest of their yeah, life. Absolutely. You didn't suffer either outcome. I must have missed it by, you know, micromillimeters, you know, that it's just broken exactly the right place. But it was broken bad enough that I was wound up having to wear a, what's called a Philadelphia collar. It's a therapeutic device, a hard plastic collar that I had to wear on my neck for the next year and a half. And the doctor said, you are not to take this off for any reason. You shower in it, sleep in it. I don't care what you're doing. Do not take this off because if you need me to give you an illustration, Neil, right now, think of a basketball being held up on the head of a pin. That's what's happening now because you have no support for your head. So this device is supporting your head. Okay, now I'm out of work. I'm out of a relationship. And pretty soon I was out of a place to live because I was evicted from my apartment because I couldn't keep paying the rent. I had no income. I had run through my savings after about three or four months and I had no income. Now 
I'm in a really interesting situation. I'm walking the streets looking for work and nobody will hire me because I'm wearing this therapeutic device. And, and, and finally, one guy, I, I applied, I must apply for eight or 10 or 12 jobs without exaggerating. Yeah, I always, I go into grocery stores and say, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, I'll stock the shelves. I'll do whatever. I, I need to have some kind of income. Nobody would hire me. Finally, some guy at a hotel where I applied to be a janitor said to me, you know, you know, you know, pal, he said, we can't hire you. So you, you, you're wearing, obviously, a therapeutic device on your neck. One wrong move, and you re-injure yourself, and we're paying, our insurance is paying your, you know, your hospital bills for the rest of our, you know, your medical bills for the rest of eternity. We can't do it. We can't hire somebody who we know in advance is already handicapped. So, I mean, with an injury like that. So now I couldn't find work. Uh, my friend, I lived on the sidewalk for a year of my life. Not for a couple of bad weeks, not for a couple of tough months. But for a year, two weeks shy of one year, I'm walking the streets, sleeping on the ground. I finally managed to acquire a tent that, frankly, my, my ex-wife let me have our family tent. She said, okay, take the tent. And I was able to at least get out of the rain, but not out of the cold, because it's darn cold sleeping on the ground in a tent. And that's how I slept in a homeless park for a year. And I walked the streets with my hand out. Asking people anything, anything would help. A quarter, a nickel, a dime. People, people would say to me, all I have is some pocket change. I said, you know what? If everybody gave me pocket change, I could have a hamburger by the end of the day. Please, whatever you've got to spare. And I lived that way for a year. And it was really um, a, a very difficult time in my life. I, I, I lost all my dignity. I couldn't even find a place to go to the bathroom. I would try to go into restaurants and just slip into the side door, you know, the side of the restaurant, maybe slip into the men's room. But the manager would, would, would catch me three times out of four and say, no, no, but, you know, because I looked terrible. My, my hair was down to the middle of my back. Of course, I couldn't afford a haircut. I couldn't get into a shower anywhere. So, I mean, I was obviously a street person. And the managers would stop me and say, no, 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 you're not here. You got to get out of here. I said, please. Oh, my God. I just, I just want to use the bathroom. I'll be in and out in three minutes. You know. So it was a big deal just to find a place to relieve myself. And I had lost all dignity whatsoever. Finally, I got a part-time job at a radio station. I was doing a weekend. I had some talent to do radio broadcasting, and which I had done early in my life as a, as a young man. And so I found a weekend job as a fill-in person at a rather large radio station. And it made me enough money, not much, but enough to get a small little, you know, apartment behind somebody's house. They had a grandma apartment and it was empty and they let me rent it. And I could put a few pieces of uh, meat or food on the table. And that was it. That, that was all I had. Now, that's how... I'm sorry to give you such a long answer. But no, no, no. This is a very, um, a, a very important answer and very just shows your resilience and what you've went through and how you stayed humble. And I mean, Neil, my God, brother, you know, I was angry, but I was angry. My friend, I was really, I might've been humble. I was humbled, but I was very angry. And I remember waking up one morning after being in that apartment for a week or two. And I woke up at four 30 in the morning, one morning, and I, I, I saw the yellow legal pad on the coffee table in front of me. And I began writing a very angry letter to God. Dear God, what does it take to make life work? And what have I done to deserve a life of such continuing, unending struggle, one thing after the other? Mm, and you, and you yeah. know what? You, you know what I said? God, God, you know, I'll play. I promise I'll play whatever game is going on here, but at least give me the rule book. 
tell me the rules. And after you tell me the rules, don't change them. Because my experience was that every five days, the rules were changing anyway. Right. Somebody tell me what's going on. And I was so furious. And then I heard a voice. As clearly as I'm hearing yours now, I thought there was somebody in the room for a minute. And the voice said, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Or are you just venting? And I, I, I said actually out loud, it's 4.30 in the morning, there's nobody in the apartment. But out loud, I said, you think? <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm venting a little. And, and God said, okay, pick up a pen and take this down. And I began hearing answers to those questions in my mind. And I wrote down the answers that I was receiving, which only brought up other questions for me. And I received those answers as fast as I could ask the question. Even yes. before I finished the question being asked, the answers came to me. And then I found myself involved in a question-answer dialogue on paper. Question-answer, question-answer. And I kept a note. I kept on writing the answers because they were so astonishing to me. And they violated or contradicted virtually everything I'd been taught all my life about life, yeah. about God, about myself. So I thought, you know, I'm going to keep a record of this because it sounds totally off the wall, totally crazy. But I'm going to keep a record of it. And then somewhere, this went on, by the way, for several weeks. I'd be awakened every, every morning around 3.20 or, I'm sorry, around 4.20 or 4.25 in the morning. And, and then I would wake up and I would you know, feel the urge to get back to that experience. And I did it for an hour and a half or two a day. And then I got on with the rest of my day. Before long, I had many, many, many pages. I mean, four or five tablets, yellow legal pads full of handwritten questions and answers. And then I received the following message. You will make of this one day a book and it will be accessed by many people. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? We'll see about that. <laughs> I love it. You know what? I, I thought, you know what? If this really is, I'm really receiving information from you know, the higher power, if you please, God, Allah, Brahman, Jehovah, whatever word we want to use, yeah. life itself. But if I really am somehow picking up this information from someplace outside of my mind, we're going to test this. I'm going to test God. I said, you know, you just said something that's totally, totally not going to happen. Of course, nobody's going to publish my handwritten middle of the night mental meanderings. I mean, I can just see a publisher getting this stuff and saying to the people on the staff, hold the presses, stop everything. I got a guy here who's talking to God. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but in fact, a small publisher on the East Coast did decide to take those handwritten notes and turn it into a book. And they put it out and on the market. No, I didn't get any advance, of course, but they put the book out just to see you know, what would happen. And they told me, don't expect much. You know, with a title like this, it's going to be a big pushback. A lot of people aren't going to have anything to do with the book like this. Conversations with God, I mean, really. In fact, they tried to talk me into changing the title. I said, no, we're not changing it. Then they wanted to publish it as a fiction book. They said it'd be a great novel of a guy who thinks he's talking to God. I said, no, 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 no. Oh. This is not a novel. This is not a piece of fiction. This has actually happened in my life. You either publish it as a nonfiction book or don't publish it at all. Yeah, the guy said, you know, the guy said, well, you know, very well, but we're not going to sell, you know, very many. And he was right; he didn't sell a whole lot, a whole lot of books. Well, only fifteen million in thirty-seven languages in every country of the world. 
And suddenly I found myself in this very interesting situation. Meanwhile, I'm having the experience go on. It's going on. It didn't stop just because I sent this material to a publisher. I was continuing to have what I have called conversations with God. And of course, the first thing I was told, by the way, in this interchange, after we got a few uh, you know, exchanges into it, I was told, I said, because I said, why me? Why me? Why, why would you choose me? And she said, no, 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 Neil, 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 Neil. It's not you. Everyone is having conversations with God all the time. They're simply calling it something else. Yes, that's right. You know, intuition, women's intuition, or an epiphany, or a sudden insight, or a moment of inspiration, whatever they think they can get away with, but they don't want to call it conversations with God, which you've done because that, then they would be marginalized or ignored completely or maybe even ridiculed. So, you know, but you've called it what it is, and now it's out there. So people came to understand, and the book invites people to have their own conversations with God. And the book says, right, straight out, be your own authority in mm-hmm. all spiritual masters. Do not yes. believe the word you see here. Yes, Neil. Yes, brother. Woo! Exactly. So that's my answer to your question. How did I come to write the book? I didn't sit down to write a book. I simply had an experience that became a book. But to just put a coda on the end of the story, I was then asked, of course, after the book sold so many copies, the folks in New York said, do you have any sisters like that at home? (laughs) And I I said, yeah, well, I I said, well, my experience has been continuing, if that's what you mean. They said, could you give us whatever you've got? So I said, well, of course, I continued to send them the material. And they put out book two and book three and continuing until I had nine books in the Conversations with God series. And then I wrote 30 books after that, explaining and extrapolating and expanding on the message for a total of 39 books in all, which is about all I'm going to do. But um, that's the story. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I think that's a brilliant life activating story. I think that people don't, sometimes people have this idea that people who are writing books and whatever, they just, you know, they just, they're spiritual people, they just write a book. But there's nothing more powerful than being a skeptic, because I'm very much a skeptic too. And everything in my life, has come from me having to go through so much pain and difficulty to God speaking to me and telling me, and even just us being here today, um, you know, even the fact that, you know, you met my fiance before you met me, you know, all of these different things have come into play the way they're supposed to as according to how they're supposed to. And it's interesting the journey we take to actually be able to get to that place where we're like, you know what, I'm going to have a conversation with God because you're open to it from all these other things that you have gone through because you're upset. And why am I getting pinpointed? Why am I being the the one who has all these horrible things happening to me? And your story is so poignant and yet so... uh, relatable. And that's something that I look at very strongly. It's the, it's relatable to so many people who feel this constant, you know, you know, obstacle here, obstacle there, 
you know, I can speak for myself as well. And then being able to come into that level of grace through the process of you seeking authentic and real conversation. So first of all, I just want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge your willingness to even go into that conversation. I want to acknowledge the part of you that was willing to continue that conversation and really be able to show humanity that, like you said, it doesn't matter if you think it's intuition or you're hearing uh, voices or you're getting feelings inside of your being, whatever it may be, we, with all having these conversations, this people just haven't been really honest about it because they're afraid or they're scared of the unknown, or they just don't want to believe that they have that capability to speak to God so clearly and so easy as you have described. Well, there's another reason that, that people deny it. Um, my friend, uh, um, from my observation, there are roughly 4,200 religions on the planet. And most of, by the way, I didn't make that number up. You can Google that information. There are over 4,200 religions on the earth. And most of those religions, I'll say not all of them, but by far the largest number of them, teach that it's blasphemy. Yeah. It's apostasy. It's heresy to even think that you're talking that God is communicating directly to you. Who are you to think that? Unless you're the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury or the chief imam or the head rabbi. But unless you have some kind of elevated position, who the hell do you think you are? So we are taught from children, even if we didn't belong to a religion, our culture teaches us from the messages of the world's 4,000 religions that, of course, you can say almost anything you want to say, but not that God is talking directly to you. Excuse me. We are taught, therefore, not to even imagine that such a thing is possible. That's the main reason that people decide to call it when they do have those moments, an epiphany or a moment of inspiration. Fair enough. But they're not going to say, yeah, it came directly from God. One out of a thousand people, one out of 10,000 might actually put it that way. Yeah, I think a lot of that has also come from the persecution and the ridicule. And oh. it's the whole consciousness of humanity being afraid of not feeling worthy enough to even have a conversation with God because of what the world tells them. It, it's quite unfortunate where that human beings think so little of themselves and yet, at the same time, think so big of themselves in other areas. But, in, but when it comes to the spiritual, they think so little of their, their, their selves. And I, you know, bless their dear hearts. It's, it's unfortunate that, that, the, the, that those systems are so intact still that keeps people in this very domesticated um, behavior of, you know, not questioning authority or believing that they can't have a conversation with authority to create real change. I couldn't agree with you more. And what's going to have to happen here on this planet if we do seek as a, as a civilization, as a species to improve uh, what's going on on our planet to change our way of life, what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to stop trying to change our behaviors. Everyone is trying behavior mod, what they call behavior modification. Everyone is trying behavior modification. It's not working. It hasn't worked for thousands of years. What we need to do <laughs> is it. not behavior mod, but belief mod. We need to change yeah. our fundamental beliefs about who we are, what life is about, why we're here, who and what this thing that we call God is. You know, surveys have, have been taken in the past five years. Sociologists have been taking surveys in virtually every country of the world, asking a single question. 
a simple, simple question. Do you believe in a higher power? And eight out of 10 people have said yes. Yeah, we believe in, they don't, they don't know what it is. They, they, they can't quite define it. But right. eight out of 10 people have said, yeah, there's something going on. There's more going on here. You know, there's more than meets the eye. So there must be some kind of higher power. So 80% of us agree that there's a so-called higher power, but we can't find a way to agree on what it is, what it wants, what it does if it doesn't get what it wants, and how we can use that power in our own lives. So that lack of agreement is what I've addressed in the book called The God Solution, because it's created the God Dilemma. What I call the God Dilemma is people around the world are saying, now more than ever, wait a minute, wait a minute. If there really is a God, why does he just come down and fix things? Why is it? Why, why, why does God allow things to go on the way it's gone on for hundreds of thousands of years? Life is a mess on this planet. So if there's a God, why is life the way it is? And I've tried to answer in the book what I've come to understand in my conversations with God, because, of course, I asked the same question. It's a fair question. If there is a God, what the hell are you doing? You know, what are you waiting for? And uh, God made it very clear to me, wait a minute, Neil, if I wanted to create a species of minions, servants who just do what I tell them to do, uh, I, I could have done that easily. But that, that wasn't my point. My, 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 my joy... My choice in creating sentient beings and giving them the power to create the reality collectively and, yes, individually, that they would like to experience in their own lives. That's where my joy comes in, even as your, your joy, if you were a parent. You don't, you don't need your kids to be minions when they're 35, 45, 50 years old. Here you are, 78, and you want your 50-year-old child to continue obeying your orders, for heaven's sake. No, uh -huh. You want to give them the power, the insight, the awareness, the understanding, and the ability to create their own reality. And not only that, you hope they do better in their life than you did in yours. Then you can really sit back and say, okay, okay, job well done. So God explained that all to me. And I said, okay, then fair enough. And then I offered in the God solution what I consider the solution to the God dilemma. Because I said, okay, but give us a little hint. Can you just give us a little hint how we can somehow change our fundamental understandings on this planet to make life better? And she said, Neil, it's really simple. You need to simply change your definition of what you think God is. And I'm going to give you a two-word definition. I'm going to call God pure love. And I want you to go around the world and just tell people that God is pure love. So as I've given these lectures here since the publication of that book, there's always somebody in the back of the room, usually a guy, not always, but almost always, some guy in the back of the room standing up in the, in the lecture hall saying, oh, Neil, 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 really? Are you telling me that I've been listening to you for 20 minutes so that you could come up with that? God is love? Everybody knows God is love. Even, even the religions that don't agree with each other about doctrine would all agree that God is love. And I've got to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. I didn't say God is love. That's, you didn't hear me say that. I said God is pure love. Yes. To which the guy in the back of the room says, all right, what's the difference? See, the difference is that pure love needs expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Can we dare to embrace something so theologically revolutionary as a God 
who wants and needs to get nothing back from us in order to continue to bestow her love and her blessings on us. Mm. Is such a thing even possible? So we'd have to set aside, that is nine-tenths of the world's religious people would have to set aside their most fundamental understanding about God. Now, one last sentence, if I could just be allowed to make my point here. If we were able to do that, if we were able to set aside our thought that God is a judging, condemning, and punishing God, then we would actually do more than simply change our definition of God. We would change the basis of our own moral ethic. We would create a new ethic for humanity, inviting us to treat each other without yes, and punishment. Imagine what would happen if we use that ethic in our political, our social, our economic, and our spiritual interactions with each other. The world would change overnight. So the God solution offers us a pathway to that new and brighter future, which I believe is our ultimate destiny. The only question is, who's going to win this human race? Will it be the forces that don't believe a word I've just said? Or will it be those who say, you know what, this makes total sense, but it's going to take an idea hero. I point out in the book, what we're looking for right now on the planet are idea heroes. And somebody will say to you, okay, what's an idea hero? An idea hero is someone who is willing to embrace and live into and share with others an idea that he or she knows ahead of time that the largest number of people will either not understand or outright disagree with. It takes a level of heroism to do that. Uh, To use an example, Galileo was an idea hero. He said, you know what? The earth revolves around the sun. Mm -hmm. Of course, the church taught for hundreds of years that the sun revolved around the earth because it was the church's teaching that the earth and its people were God's greatest creation. So therefore, naturally, the sun revolved around the earth. The earth was the center of the known universe. And Galileo, and they told Galileo, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to rescind what you said. You're going to have to you know, stand aside from it and give it up. And he said, no, I, I can't do that because I, I know that scientifically it's true. So they put him under house arrest. And he lived under house arrest for the rest of his life, where he died. But he refused to recant because he understood that his idea was, in fact, what's so. So what we need are more idea. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, was another idea hero. And there are idea heroes scattered throughout human history who have said, excuse me, excuse me. I have a dream that one day all people will be considered equal. Yes. Regardless of the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their gender, their economic status, their nationality. Can't we just find a way to simply see that we are all one? That's right. Yeah. And they even did it to, and even Copernicus tried to take on the, 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 um, the establishment. Yeah. The establishment. And then they burned him alive. Yeah. Or having the nerve to say that the same exact is exact the exact same thing, pretty much. And you know, it's interesting as you're talking about this, because in shamanism, we have a belief that God is such a pure force of love that anything you want, good or bad, whatever you consider good or bad, is given to you. 
so that you can understand that nothing is withheld and everything comes without uh, an expectation or some idea that you have to do something to get something. It's just there. It's for you. It's whatever you want. And human beings have to learn. When I when I died a long time ago in my 20s, and I went to the other side, the first question I asked Neil was, why do human beings suffer? And you know what they told me? Malfunction in thinking. They told me that human beings suffer because they have malfunction in thinking. They think against themselves. That to me was something very powerful because what you're talking about is very much in alignment to shamanism. Because in shamanism, we know that that love is so pure that they, that God would not interfere with human affairs, not because God doesn't love us, not because God doesn't want us to be happy, but because God wants us to have our own sovereignty. But how do you tell a person not to think in a malfunctioning way? How do you how do you tell a person to change the way they're thinking if their life experience up to that point seems to be showing them that they can't have what they want, that in fact their life's been a tragedy, maybe they were mis mistreated or raped or injured as a child, and, and maybe even as an adult. They've had one bad thing after the other happening to them, one bad thing after the other, until they say, you know, I'm done with this. You, you take your idea about God and, you know, you can place it where, you know, you know where, because I don't get it. You know, I, I don't and you know, know what they told me about that. Yeah, I want to know. They said to me that human beings suffer because we are trying to understand why these things happen to us in the past. So we, every time we go and try to understand, like people will talk about ancestral curses and, oh, we need to heal our painful childhood or we need to heal these painful things. Spirit told me that every time you do that, you are actually, your spirit doesn't live in a set dimension. So whenever you, if you're sitting on a beach looking at the ocean, but your mind is thinking about the abuse that you went through and that you have to heal that abuse in order to move through it, you're actually reinstating the abuse back into your being. So your body doesn't know the difference between it being then and now. And so, so spirit said to me that humans suffer because they are trying to fix the answers to questions they should never ask. So if like an example, I told this woman, she goes, how come my parents have beat me? Right. Um, you would never be able to answer that question because you're not your parents. You don't think like them. So you'll be in a, a continuous quandary because you'll never quite understand why your parents did what they did. They are the only ones who have to answer that question. And the, question, and the question that I was invited by God to ask is go to your parents, in this case, just to use your example, go to your parents or anyone else who's done something that injured or hurt you and say to them, what hurts you so much that you felt you had to hurt me in order to heal it? Yeah, but it's so, no, they can only answer that question. to me with the same story. It's the same story. But what about, you know, I was, I was beaten as a child. And I say to them, yes. And the sins of the father shall be visited upon the sons, yea, even unto the seventh generation. Until, until no more. Yes. Until we are able to say, as someone who walked around here a few years ago said to us, you know, gave us the advice. Bless, bless, bless. 
your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who would do bad to you. And when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one off your, your left. That's right. And when a man steals your coat, give him your shirt as well. That's right. And when a man demands that you walk one mile with him, go with him twain. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness. Yes, and love it and set it free. That you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. Yes. Yes. I could, I could of course, be wrong about all of this. I don't think you are because those are the things that I was told when I, when I passed away in my 20s and came back from a 10.6 potassium. And it was a very interesting experience. And everything you're saying is in alignment to what I've been taught since I was young and what I've been taught when I went to the other side. And, you know, it's fascinating because one of the other things that was said was the understanding of how human beings decipher between darkness and light instead of choosing to speak the light. Like when I meet religious, really religious people, they'll always say like things like, oh, you're going to hell, you're going to this, you're a sinner, you're this. And I said to one religious guy, I said, if you serve God's love, why would you speak over your brothers and sisters damnation in hell? Why wouldn't you speak in your words, your tongue that has power? Why wouldn't you speak to them with love and grace of what is possible for them. When you go into the hospital and you see someone sick, why are you crying for that person who's sick instead of telling them how their body is healing? Why do we keep, and, and you know, it's interesting because uh, one of the things that, that Angel Michael came to me and told me was that human despair comes from human beings operating in this field where they believe that when they were being raised, the system was built for singular adaptation, which means that you have an authority figure and you can only speak to that authority figure by answering to that authority figure for whatever that authority figure wants. But the way we were supposed to be raised is with dual adaptation, which is that every single person is a part of a tribe. And each person should be able to say this energy that you're creating is causing imbalance or it is dysfunctional or disruptive. It is causing pain in my system. It is clouding my mind, you know, for us to be able to go back and forth with our communication. But we go into authority figures. So we keep living out of that old energy that Angel Michael said was one, as soon as you believe that God could hurt you, destroy you, or punish you, you create a subconscious, um, uh, the way Angel Michael explained it to me, it's like a, it's like a, not a chip, but it's a, it's a program that has a sequence. And that sequence of that program is for you to self-destruct so God doesn't have to self-destruct you. So you have this natural deterioration aspect of the, of the consciousness that is already built in because you believe that if your own creator would hurt you and destroy you, then you yourself can also hurt you and destroy you. And then you begin to act that out in just small, tiny ways. And it's fascinating how human beings don't recognize how these really subtle nuances of information 
can be the very thing that goes into a huge amount of consciousness and pollute it until someone chooses to be the light in the darkness and be able to realize that the darkness is an aspect of that is asking to be loved and to be heard and to be seen so that it can go home instead of people persecution you know going in with this i have to you know defeat the darkness and battle the darkness and battle this thing and battle that thing so it's really beautiful what you're saying and it's touching me very 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 deeply when i have religious zealots and fundamentalists not to speak pejoratively about them because they many of them sincerely believe you know what they're yes. telling me yeah but when I have those people tell me, you know, Neil, I'm sorry, but if you keep on this way, you're going to hell. I say to them, well, thank you. You know, first of all, thank you for loving me as a human being enough to give me that warning. And I sincerely mean that. I know it takes, you know, it takes courage to speak such something like that to someone you hardly even know and just met. So I appreciate you having the courage to say that to me. Thank you. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the Bible? And almost all of them say, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe in the best. Some of them, it's the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the Book of Mormon. Yes. You know, yes. they're, they're, they're scripture of choice. But most of the who approach me are Christians who I say, do you believe in the Bible? Yeah. I say, great. Then look up Mark 6.37. They look at me and they say, well, well, obviously you've got it memorized. So what does it say? It says, it says, judge not and neither condemn. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Now, the man was quoting, that is, Mark was quoting someone else who told him that. So was this guy who told him that a charlatan? Was he a bamboozler? Was he a con man? Or do you think he really meant what he said? And then they go silent. They go quiet. Well, I said, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear the answer. We were told. Judge not, and neither condemn. As you judge, as you will be, you if you judge, you shall be judged. If you condemn not, you will not be condemned. So help me understand. And then they go real well, and they walk away from me. Nobody, nobody has an answer to that. No so answer. Mark six thirty seven is what I use, and it often changes the whole conversation. <laughs> Mark six thirty seven. I love it. And you know what I always talk about is Matthew's, where where Jesus said. Um, when someone asked Jesus, how does one get into the kingdom of heaven? And he said, in order to get in the kingdom of heaven, one must come as a child. What do they think that means? Indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're quite, I, you're quite I, an extraordinary man, I say. And I love it. I love it. When it, when the guy who is walking around the, the planet said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So don't go around asking, how are we to eat? How are we to drink? How will we clothe ourselves? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Yes. Knock and the door shall open, ask and you shall receive. It doesn't say knock. And if you follow the rules that we set for you, the door will maybe open or ask. And if we like the tone you're speaking, then we'll give to you. You know the story about the, the Pope who died. And he went to heaven and Peter met him at the pretty gates. And 
And Peter said, you know, in your holiness, you've been such a holy man that you've been given a dispensation. You're, you're being allowed to go to very, very, very few souls are ever allowed. But you're one of the few who have been allowed to go into the celestial library and read all of the books that contain all of the wisdom from the beginning of time to this very moment. You may enter the door there. And he went in and he sat down, huge books as big as 1,000 Manhattan telephone directories. And the pages are flipping past him like, you know, like blown by the wind and he absorbs all the information and he's so excited. Oh my gosh, all the insight, all the wisdom, all the clarity. There it is. Thank you, God. And then, then he sees and he starts to cry. Oh no. Oh no, no. Peter rushes in. Your holiness, what's wrong? What's the matter? And the Pope says, there's an R. There's an R. It's celebrate. <laughs> oh my god i love it i love it i love it i love you you're amazing i love it i love talking to you i could talk to you for days days brother days oh that's so good that is so good that is really good so okay so let's go into humanity where we are today right a lot of human beings are looking to persecute. They're looking to, to blame, to name, to shame, to looking for someone to place this uh, idea of what they think the problem is in the world. What is your thoughts around that? Well, uh, I have a very clear thought about it. Thank you for asking me, my friend. Uh, the biggest problem in the world today in my observation, is that nobody knows what the biggest problem in the world today is. At least nobody in positions of enormous influence or power are willing to announce or admit what the biggest problem in the world today is. We see the outcome, we see the outfall. The outfall of the biggest problem in the world today is alienation. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an older guy, I'm probably 25 or 30 years older than you are. I've never seen the level of alienation on this planet in my lifetime that I'm seeing now. Right. People of different colors, people of different religions, people of different political status, people of different economic status, people of different nationalities, people of different sexes, people of different sexual orientations. Everybody is, the alienation is unbelievable, but nobody, nobody in positions of enormous power has yet sat down to say, you know, wait a minute, what, what is causing all of this alienation? What is the biggest problem in the world today? And the answer is, our age-old belief in separation. We have allowed ourselves to accept the caveman explanation. When the cavemen were sitting around the campfire, in the earliest days of human existence on this planet, and the earth would shake from an earthquake, or the sky would break, you know, the thunder would break through the sky from a sudden storm, or a flood would come, or whatever would happen. They didn't know what to make of it, these early primitive human beings. And they asked each other, sitting around the campfire, oh, however, which meant, did you do that? <laughs> and, the, and the people around the campfire, well, not me. So they went to other tribes, did they did, and they couldn't find out. Then they realized, oh, then if nobody here did that, there's something else. There's something else that's doing these things. 
creating these floods and these earthquakes and these natural disasters, these things we have absolutely no control over. There's something else over which we have no control, which ultimately produced, as centuries went by, the idea of religion. But whatever it is, is clearly separate from us because we have no control over it. So mm -hmm. it's other than and separate from us. Thus was born the idea of separation. God is separate from us. We are separate from each other. We are separate from life itself. We're simply watching it happen, but we have no control over it. And in some cases, we're even separate from our own inner selves. Mm -hmm. The idea of separation. So I say to people, I had the occasion a few years ago to be invited to talk to the leaders I shouldn't say the leaders, but representatives of most of the world's religions. There was a conference in South, South Africa, and we all sat down together. There were representatives from Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and all the world's religions, and they invited me to come in as well. And I sat down with them, and I said to them, wow, what if we simply told all of our followers that we've made a huge mistake, that separation is an illusion? that nothing is separate from anything else, that all things are one thing, that there's only one thing and all things are part of the one thing there is. What do you think would happen if we simply announced that and made it our new dogma and our new doctrine, bringing an end to separation? It would change everything in terms of the way we interact with each other, because then we would finally, in fact, do unto others as we would have it done unto us, because we would know that what, what is being done to others is being, in fact, done to us, since yeah. there's only one of us. Yes. Now we have it, the book, The God Solution, proposes even a new golden rule, not a golden rule, what it calls the platinum rule, because platinum is more valuable than gold. Yes, it the is. The platinum rule is do unto others as they would have it done unto them. Mm-hmm. Right. Dare we? So when I go out and give a talk, my wife is always worried about me. She says, honey, please, please be careful. Be careful. Somebody's going to jump up on the stage and put a nest for your heart. I said, you know what? If that's the way I go, then that's the way I go. I've said the same thing to my fiance. Because I'm not going to shut up when I've been given so much to share. Exactly. So I say to my audiences, Let's decide that from this moment on, there's no such thing as separation. That I am you and you are me, that we are one. And let's decide to live our lives in that way. But if we decide that God is pure love, then we would have to step into a new expression of pure love in our own lives, which means that we would have to want, need, request, demand, and ask for, even hope for, nothing in return for the love that we give our beloveds. So is it possible, do you think, I ask my audience, do you think it's possible for you to go home and say to your beloved spouse or your, your beloved partner or members of your family, people you love deeply, that you need nothing from them, that you want nothing from them, that you even hope for nothing in return, because the bliss of loving them is sufficient unto itself. Yes. Gives you the fullest experience of who you are than anything else you could possibly be, do, have, or experience. And so then I share with them a mantra that I invite people to share as they move through their life. 
when I'm in front of an audience, I say, you want a little mantra? Give this one a try. The first time you see anyone on any given day, maybe it is, in fact, the person across the pillow, or the person across the kitchen, or the friend across the street, a neighbor you haven't talked to in a while, or a total stranger across town. Whoever it is, when you see them for the first time that day, say to yourself, don't say it out loud because very few people would understand it, but say it to yourself silently in your mind and in your heart when you see that person for the first time every day. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better today for my having passed through it. I promise you. Your life will be made better today for my having passed through it. I promise you. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it's wonderful. But you, you know, know, the problem with that is if you were to say that out loud, no one would understand. Somebody would no doubt undoubtedly come along and say to you what they said to him. Like, right. whose authority are you acting like this? <laughs> or to put it in my father's words, as my dad, you know, when it was asking me from the time I was 14, who do you think you are anyway? Wow. Not I'm... realizing that he was asking the seminal question of all time. Who, who in fact do you think you are? Yes, it reminds me of Aslam from The Caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland in Lewis Carroll's book. Who said? Who are you? You know, it's funny when you're talking about this, because this is such an important matter. And I look at a lot about this through uh, sociology and anthropology in the study of humanity operating and most human beings, we are the only species on the planet that's not comfortable being who we are. There are no animal on the planet. A zebra does not want to be anything other than a zebra and vice versa. But we are not honoring our own existence. We don't own our own existence. And so we always say in shamanism, who owns your existence? Is it your spouse? Is it your government? Is it your, you know, your friends? Is it your community? Who owns your existence? Because human beings will never be able to get to a space where they can get into an acceptance of each other if they can't own their own existence because they're constantly trying to be something in order to get loved, in order to get like, in order to get more Instagram followers, in order to be more popular, in order to be this, in order to be that. Instead of really stepping into a space of I choose what I do out of service because I am who I am in the essence of my being. And that is who I am today or is who I am tomorrow. And what I find fascinating um, is that human beings don't own their existence. So they're constantly looking for someone to identify them or to give them some such a sustenance to the essence of who they are. And that only puts them and sets them back in who they are in their evolution, because then all of a sudden they're not acting in the place of their truth. They're acting in the place of their projected truth that they think people will accept and love. What is the title of your book? Mine? Yes. 
spirit hacking, uh, uh, seven ways to transform your life through this time. I have to exactly the exact words because I can't even remember. <laughs> but let me just look it up really quick. I think that's what it says. <laughs> let me just. So go. I've I've got to I've got to get a copy of it right away. I mean, you, 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 and and you and I need to present online together somewhere. We need to we need to do an, an event online together because you you. Although I, I don't know how we would, because you're just saying the same thing that I'm saying, that you're saying that I'm saying, that you're saying that I'm saying. We would just wind up repeating each other all, all through the time. But you have a wonderful, wonderful way of putting it. I never thought of putting it quite that way. We're the only species of sentient beings on the earth that are not comfortable being who we are. Holy cow. Yes, the book is called... Spirit hacking, shamanic keys to reclaim your personal power, transform yourself, and light up the world. And I find it, I very I find that fascinating because I find that a lot of people they base who they are on how many likes they have on Instagram. Or like I'll give you an example. Like let's say for instance, someone is to do an act of service for you. And instead of just saying, I'm gonna do an act of service for Neil. They'll go, I did an act of service for Neil. Now let me go tell the whole world that I did it so I can get brown, so I can get points. And my value of self, which is being held by everyone else, is now more identified. And it's unfortunate that people cannot just stay in a space of service of the truth of, of through their hearts, of the willingness to want to create um, something greater and more valuable in someone else's life, you know? And it's interesting because human beings seek the value of another human being based on who they know, how much they've done, how successful they are, how much money they have, and how, um, and how popular they are in society. The aspect of human conditioning has shifted from the understanding of tribal culture, which was about how you would learn how to take the place of the elders who were coming out of their positions and you would fill their positions and step in and create something new from that space. We don't do that anymore on planet Earth. Human beings operate from the idea of, I don't know myself because I was never given a chance to know myself because everybody told me who I was and I went along with them because I wanted to be loved and I didn't want to be separated from. And that's why I love what you said when you're talking about the whole separation, because all of human suffering comes from this idea of abandonment and separation, but it comes from the abandonment and separation from the incorrect or imbalanced way that they perceive God. Wow. I love every word that you've spoken for the entire time we've had our visit together. You are incredibly, incredibly clear. Not only in your information, but in your ability to share it. Wow. You got another book in you. You got you to write another book. This spirit hacking is cool. It's, you know, it's contemporary. And it's, it's what's going on. But there's got to be another. There's got to be another book from you. And I've never written a book before. I only write book when spirit tells me to. Like I wrote my first book. It was called Uyanish, and it means wake up. And I wrote it in Turkish. I had to learn to speak the language so that I can get the message to the Turkish people because I was watching how they were, so much power they have and how they were treating each other. So I wrote a book to help them. And then I never thought about ever writing a book again because I'm just not a book writer. 
And then one day I was sitting down and spirit came to me and said, there's a blackout coming for the world. And it's going to last about, uh, what did they tell me? It was going to last something in about 20 to something years. And it's going to be a very challenging time for humanity because every single thing that humans have been stuffing under the rug is going to come out to face them. And every human being that needs to agitate them to get it to come out is going to rise and step in front of them. So I was like, okay, well, what do I do with this information? And they're like, you need to write it before 2020 because that's when the blackout is going to be already in moving into its movement stage. And that supposedly the blackout um, started before that, but it, the, the momentum of its movement has started in 2020. So I has like, doing everything I could to get this book out. And I was just telling my, I got this publisher. And then finally, all these people didn't want to publish me. They said I was too dark because I was telling them things about humanity and about our evolution and the way that we're evolving and the masculine and feminine and what 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 is what the truth is around homosexuality and all these different things. And people are just like, we do not want to hear this. And the only person who was willing to take my book was two people, which was Sounds True and Macmillan. And then I looked at Sounds True and they had like a plethora of shamans. And I just was like, no, because every time people think shaman, they think Native American Peru and they forget about African wisdom. They forget about what my roots come from. So I didn't want to be just another collectible shaman that they got. So I went with Macmillan because they had nobody. And, you know, and that's and I wrote that book. Um, and I got it out right before 2020. And my whole thing is like, I always say I'll write another book when spirit comes to me and tells me to write a book. But it's like, for me, I think also too, it's been a challenge too, because people are not comfortable listening to a black man. They, they, it's a bit more challenging for them to listen. So it's kind of like, it's like, oh, what is he talking about? You know, and I find how, you know, I was, I find how Dr. Martin Luther King and, and, you know, Marcus Garvey and all these different people that I, that are my mentors, how I was like, oh, I have to observe humanity from a loving place. I've been through so much pain, abuse, you name it, sexual abuse, pain, you know, uh, raped by 10 Israeli soldiers. Like I've been through it all. And I, for me, and in then dying too, and losing my kidney and all this kind of stuff. But for me, it was more about not so much being upset. Like I was angry at one point, And then I was like, I don't want to be angry anymore. What I want to do is observe life and observe humanity and observe every system of life and be able to help people understand why things are not moving the way they want them to. And when it comes to our evolution, you know, and so I start looking at our evolution in, in our consciousness, our emotions, um, the way we operate in our bodies, the way we operate in spirit, how spirit moves um, and all these things. And I always find that uh, people such as yourself versus the younger generation of people who are putting information out there, they're not grounded deep in old wisdom. Like you're grounded deep in old wisdom, which I love. And that's why I'm enjoying this conversation with you. But when I meet other people who are like in the, you know, write books in the spiritual world, whatever, when I listen to them, 
it's just, it sounds too, um, it's too surface. It's not enough depth to bring the level of clarity that people really need to grasp when it comes to going into that deep root. And that's why I was so excited when I heard that you were going to be in Tucson, but then I ended up hurting my foot and I couldn't, I was on crutches and I was, I was also relocating us to a new place because I wasn't really happy with the place we were staying. Um, so I was doing all these things and then I had to leave and I tried to go and see you, but you were sleeping. So, but my fiance had told me all about you and she was like, yeah, I met him and we had a great conversation and he was so kind and we had a wonderful talk. And I was just like, oh, that's so wonderful, my love. And she's like, you must tell him. I said, hello, when you do speak with him, I have a feeling he's going to be in our life. And I was like, I had the same feeling a long time ago. I heard your name when I was really young. And I kept saying, like, for some reason in the future, I'm going to be connected to Neil Donald Walsh, but it's not time. I said, it's going to be later. And when she told me that she had met you and she's like, you're meeting him because it's coming full circle because he's going to be in our life. And I and so I'm really glad that we're here. That's anyway, that's me rambling. That's no, okay. I love I love rambling. I got to go. I do have another appointment, but I do want to end our time together today by saying that your title of your next book is why our lives are not working and how and, and, and this subtitle is how to change everything why our lives are not working big type at the top small print underneath and how to change everything okay let me write that down uh, I, I will send it to you you'll send me your you'll send me your email address and i'll send it to you yes i will my email address is neil at neildonaldwalsh.com you couldn't forget it if you wanted to it's just me at me. So just drop me a note, neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. I will send you that uh, title back. And and uh, I will demand that you finish the book by Christmas. Six months should be easy enough to do. And then it will be um, the book that the world is waiting for. Because you have the ability to put it into 30 words or less. Right then and there. And I, and I don't give a damn if nobody wants to hear it. If people didn't... if if those who had a message to share didn't share it because no one else wanted to hear it, no one would share anything of any value. Right. So and that's the first, that's the first thing we, all, we, we both need to, to embrace. I've embraced that 27 years. Nobody wanted to hear. Yeah. 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 You had a conversation with God. Nobody wanted to hear that much less what I was told. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There are no victims and no villains. There's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. You know, all these things that I was saying, people were, you know, but you know what I did? I, I got I to gotta go, but I got to tell you this last little anecdote. I was in Cincinnati, I guess, no, Cleveland. I was in Cleveland. And, and I was um, giving a talk there at a, a rather large auditorium. And there were people marching in front of the auditorium when they pulled, uh, when they drove me up to the front of the venue I get out of the car and they're like, yeah, 27 or 35 people marching up and down with placards, with, with holding up signs, you know, instrument of the devil, you know, and so forth. Don't listen to this man, you know, sinner. You know. And so I got out and I said, guys, hey, are you from a local church? Yes, you bet we are. I said, is your pastor here? And the lady said, yeah, he's right over there. I said, great. So I walked over to him and I said, pastor, I want you to know I appreciate you being out here. 
I just, I, I really, I really, really, really honor and value that people who are willing to stand up for what they think is right, even if I don't agree with it, as long as we can agree agreeably and don't have to use, you know, some kind of a negative energy or hurt anybody, verbally assault or physically assault anybody. But if you're just expressing what you feel is right, thank you for having the courage to do that. He said, well, thank you. It's a nice thing to say. I said, would you do something for me? Would you be willing to go in there with me and give this talk with me? I'd love to give this talk. They're expecting me to talk for an hour and a half. But you know what? I think it'd be great if I talked for a bit and then you talked for a bit and I talked for a bit and you talked for a bit. And I said something and you said something. Share our differing points of view. We might find some points of view that we share. We might find that we don't share. But I think that the audience would really, really find it because they couldn't have missed you guys parading them up, up and down in front of this auditorium when they walked in. He said, you really want me to do that? I said, yeah, I'd love you to do it. He said, you're on. So we shook hands. He came into the auditorium. And we, I said I said at the beginning of the presentation, it's not what you expect. About 375 people in the auditorium. It wasn't a huge crowd, but it was big enough. And I said, you know, um, you know this is probably not the talk you were expecting tonight, but I've invited Reverend so-and-so. We did exactly what I suggested. I would say something, he would say something. I would say something, he would say something. When the evening was over, we got this huge, humongous, instantaneous standing ovation, both of us. And we we raced into the center of the, of the room, both of us, and hugged each other. Two guys giving each other a man hug, saying, Amazing. nice job. I said, nice job. He said, you too. Nice job. I agree with more than of what you said than you might have thought I would. And, and we, we just, and it was a great evening. And I thought, night, we, we turned to the audience, said, this is how we move through moments when we do not fully agree. Exactly. So, I wanted to just share that with you and why our lives are not working and how to change everything. Wow, that's going to shoot right to the top of the bestseller list. And I only want 10% for the idea. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I really have to go. It's supposed to be there somewhere a quarter past the hour. Okay, well, let's make sure we, we do some stuff in the future together and that we get together. If you send me a note, neil at neildonawalsh.com, we'll make that connection. We'll be in each, in each other's address book. And uh, we're not going to be disconnected probably ever again for the rest of our natural lives. Yeah. By the way, quickly, where do you live? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, and I'm great. Also in Los Angeles and Norway. So I go kind of go back and forth. The Princess of Norway is one of my wonderful, wonderful friends. Did you know that? That's my fiance. Of course. I mean, but but uh, was she the one or was it her mom? It was Who? her. She came to my to my with with a, an entourage of people. Of course, she walked. She did. She came with an entourage. Yeah, she knocked on my door, and there were like uh, you know security people all around her, and you know blah, yes, blah, blah, blah. that's her. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, come on in." And you know, and she and she, and, she, and so we sat down, and we decided we decided that we really agreed with so much of what what we yeah. Now I remember that whole experience. That's right. And she yeah. Wow. Well, nice. Okay. So obviously we have a connection that goes way back. Yes. Coolness. This is great. Okay, so let's get in touch and stay in touch. I love that. What a, I never said that before. It's a great line. I'm a poet and don't know it. I love let's it. Get, let's get in touch and stay in touch. Let's do that. And say hi to the princess for me. I will definitely. She told me to tell you she said hello. And I'll go upstairs and say hi to the queen because she is the queen of all things. Exactly. <laughs> 
I know who's running the show in this house. I'm real clear. Oh, trust me. I know who's running the show, too. <laughs> she said, do you want the chair over there? Do you want the chair over there? I said, you know what, honey? You are the boss of all things. Yes. <laughs> See you later, my friend. I got to run. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to share this time with you. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy we did. Bye, brother. Bye for now. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at shamandurek.com to learn more. And remember, tribe, no matter what, stay lit.